In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, that it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. <laughs> Hello again, friends and fans of freaky, frightening, and fantastic funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast dissecting and inspecting horror comics. Bob here, and we've reached a milestone for this is episode 20. And for this special episode, we will be talking about that darling daughter from Draculon, Vampirella, when we examine Vampirella number one, published by Warren in 1969. Warren Publishing was an American magazine company founded by James Warren in 1957. Its initial publications were the horror fantasy science fiction movie magazines Famous Monsters of Filmland and Monster World, both edited by Farce J. Ackerman, a name that horror fans should be familiar with. And after introducing what he called monster comics in Monster World, Warren expanded in 1964 with horror comic stories in the sister magazines Creepy and Eerie, which were black and white publications published in a standard magazine format rather than the comic book size and selling for 35 cents as opposed to the standard comic book price of the time which was 12 cents and such a format averted the restrictions of the comic code authority and by publishing graphic stories in a magazine format to which the code did not apply Warren paved the way for later graphic story magazines such as heavy metal Marvel's Epic Illustrated, and several publications from Skyweld. You know, we have some Skyweld books in the vault. We should probably take a look at one of them one of these days. But in 1967, Warren moved operations from Philadelphia to New York City. And that, combined with a change in distributors and a downturn in the market, imposed a cash flow problem on Warren. And during the next two and a half years, their publications consisted primarily of reprints from the early issues. But things started picking up in 1969 with the premiere of its third horror magazine, the aforementioned Vampirella. In 1974, Warren added a new black-and-white magazine, The Spirit, which revived Will Eisner's Mass Detective of the 40s. And toward the end of the 70s, Warren also published two new magazines, the science fiction anthology 1984 and The Rook, starring a time-traveling adventurer who had initially appeared in Erie since 1977. Unfortunately, James Warren's bad health, combined with changing taste and business problems, led to internal turmoil, and the company suspended publications late in 1981. Warren declared bankruptcy in 1983, and Harris Publications acquired company assets at auction. But in 1998, James Warren sued Harris, and that resulted in his reacquisition of the rights to Creepy and Eerie. Many well-established artists worked at Warren, and, I mean, the list goes on and on. We'll just name a few. Neil Adams, Gene Colan, Frank Frazetta, 
Johnny Craig, Reed Randall, Alex Toth, John Severin, and Wally Wood. And there were some new artists that worked at Warren as well. Roger Brand, Nicola Cudi, Richard Corbin, Ken Kelly, who did the Kiss album covers Destroyer and Love Gun, Mike Royer, Tom Sutton, and the great Bernie Wrightson. And since this is a milestone episode, we'll close out this discussion on Warren with one of their milestones, the first known romantic interracial kiss in mainstream comics, occurred in Creepy Number 43, which was published in 1972 in a story called The Men Who Called Him Monster, which was written by Don McGregor and illustrated by Luis Garcia. However, McGregor, the writer, said in 2000 that the kiss was actually due to the artist misunderstanding the line, this is the clincher, in the script. So we'll take a look at Vampirella and her premiere issue when I get back, so stick around. Remarkable, aren't they? So natural. So real. Seemingly alive. I'll let you in on a little secret. Some of them are alive. Zombies. Frozen in a theater of terror. People puppets. Acting on the cues of a madman. Leslie, only move, breathe, move, walk, follow me. Nightmare in Wax. Cameron Mitchell as Vincent, once a man, now a monster. Anne Helm. You comfortable? Oh, very. Am I going to be in here for long? Observe the preparation of victims about to join Vincent's demonic legion of the walking dead. Nightmare in Wax. Frightening. Diabolical. Weird. Nightmare in Wax. In color. A Crown International release. Well, that's a far cry from the High Chaparral for Cameron Mitchell. Although he did appear in several grindhouse and horror films throughout the 70s and 80s, including the Toolbox Murders. But anyway, this film, The Wax Nightmare, was playing at the drive-in and in grindhouse theaters around the same time as our feature comic was on the magazine racks. So, Vampirella was a horror anthology comic magazine published by Warren for 112 issues from September 1969 until March 1983. It was hosted by Vampirella, who was a vampire superheroine character that was created by two people, Farce J. Ackerman, who horror fans will know as the editor of a few Warren magazines, most famously Famous Monsters of Filmland, but also Monster World, and artist Trina Robbins, who was an early pioneer female underground comic artist who also in the 80s became the first woman to draw Wonder Woman. Now what differentiated Vampirella from her fellow Warren horror host Uncle Creepy and Cousin Eerie was the fact that not only did Vampirella host the stories in her magazine but she also had her own feature and that feature would walk on shaky ground for its first seven issues and the first issue we do get her origin story, but no mythology is created until issue 8 when Archie Goodwin took over and 
some world building was developed and an overarching mythology which would last throughout the series. Now, although Vampirella, at least the version that we're concerned about, the Warren version, would end in 1983 when Warren Publishing would go bankrupt, Vampirella continued on. The rights were acquired by Harris Publications, and they would publish various Vampirella miniseries and series from the 90s until 2009. In 2010, independent comic publisher Dynamite acquired the rights to the character, and they still publish Vampirella to this day. That's a long time for a comic book character who resides on the fringes of the mainstream to be a part of pop culture. And although the later versions of Vampirella would change her backstory and her origin, there were some really great stories, particularly the Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, Amanda Connor, and Jimmy Palmiotti work while Vampirella was being published by Harris Publications. Those stories and a lot of the other Harris Publication stories are now available from Dynamite in the Vampirella Master Series. And speaking of pop culture, there was even a Vampirella feature film, but we'll talk more about that later. Okay, Vampirella number one has a cover date of September 1969 and a cover price of 50 cents. Now remember, this was not sold as a comic. It was a magazine-sized periodical where Warren utilized a loophole to avoid the Comics Code Authority. Now we'll discuss the cover layout before we get to the artwork. We have a tagline at the top, Illustrated Tales to Bewitch and Bedevil You. We get the title logo Vampirella, and it would remain with this logo for the first 11 issues. Issue 12, it would change a bit, and that is still the logo that is used to this day by Dynamite. In the upper left corner, we get a cameo insert of Vampirella with the issue number and the month below that, number one and September. We get another tagline, look out, she's waiting inside, this first collector's edition for you. And a final tagline at the bottom, captivating comics about fantastic females. And the rest of the page is taken up by this legendary artwork by Frank Frazetta. Now, Frank Frazetta was an American fantasy and science fiction artist noted for comic books, paperback book covers, paintings, posters, record albums, and other media. He was inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame in 1995 and the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1999. He has a very distinct style, and his very earthy color palette is the one thing that always sticks out for me. A good example of his work other than this cover would be, if you're familiar with the southern rock band Molly Hatchet, he did their first three covers, and Flirting with Disaster is a very notable work uh, that was completed by Frazetta. And this cover depicts our heroine in her s signature sling costume, a very revealing costume it is, uh, standing with one of her feet propped on a skull. We have a full moon behind her in the shadow of some bat wings, and it's done in that Frank Frazetta earthy toned color palette. It's just an incredible and legendary cover that created the look of Vampirella that is still used today. So Vampirella number one has seven comic stories and no text story. Our first comic story, Vampirella of Draculon, gives us the origin story of our heroine. That's followed by Death Boat, where the members of a lifeboat suspect that one of their party is a vampire. Next up is Two Silver Bullets, where a hunter attempts to protect his daughter from a werewolf that is haunting the nearby forest. 
Then we have Goddess from the Sea, where a girl from Atlantis tries to find shelter on the surface world. Next is Last Act, October, where the last of a wealthy family is haunted by a witch's curse. That's followed by Spaced Out Girls, where an Earthman is taken to another planet to help them rebuild their species. And closing out the book, we have a story called A Room Full of Changes, where a warlock gets revenge on the person who killed him. So there's a brief synopsis of our stories in Vampirella number one, but we're not finished yet, so hold on to your seats, and we'll get into our featured story when I see you on the other side. In a galaxy far away, always among us are wicked aberrations. In a world of perfect harmony, not content with plenty, our civilization provides you turn on your brother. A cold-blooded killer will put an end to it all and shatter a young woman's life forever. I know that you don't approve, but this journey is something you have to do. Now she's traveling across time to a new world and a murderer over 300,000 years old. Soto. Roger Daltrey. Vampirella. Roger Daltrey, how about that? You know, it's been said that Keith Moon was a huge Vampirella fan, and that Daltrey jumped at the chance to be part of this movie as a tribute to his departed friend and bandmate. This film first aired on Showtime in 1996 as part of the Roger Corman Presents program. It had been in development for many years. Uh, Back in the 70s, Hammer came close to making one starring Barbara Lee, who was at one time Steve McQueen's girlfriend and was the first model to wear the Vampirella costume on a cover of the magazine and that being number 67, published in 1978. This film was going to be a partnership between Hammer and American International Pictures, but Samuel Zarkoff decided not to make the film. That's really a shame, because the Vampirella character would have fit perfectly in the 70s, and Hammer and AIP joining forces, I really would have liked to have seen that. Instead, we're left with this hot mess. They took bits and pieces of Vampirella's backstory and made a very loose plot. The acting is very campy. Talisa Soto is certainly an attractive woman. I mean, she was a Bond girl in License to Kill and starred in the Mortal Kombat film, but she really did not fill out that costume, and the costume was atrocious. Uh, Looked like somebody bought it at, you know, Party City. Daltrey's basically playing a campy version of himself. Uh, He's the bad guy, a vampire who is undercover as a rock star, very similar to Anne Rice's Vampire Lestat. After the Hammer AIP project failed to happen, movie rights changed hands a few times until Roger Corman got a hold of it. And uh, they had initially planned on using Paula Abdul. (laughs) Uh, I can only imagine what that would have been like. 
Roger Daltrey did write and perform a song in the film. It's not half bad and could possibly be the highlight of the whole thing. But you can judge for yourself, because if you're brave, the film is available in its campy, corny, plot-hole-ridden entirety on YouTube. Okay, let's get into this featured story. But before we do, I'd like to quickly mention that on the inside cover of Vampirella Number 1, we get an introduction to the series from Vampy. It's drawn by Frank Frazetta in black and white, and it's on a red background. And it goes like this. Hi there. Welcome to the coolest girl-meets-ghoul mag on the market. My name's Vampirella. I'm the newest thing in comic magazines, and if you take me home with you, you can call me Vampy. That's if I don't call you first. I've put out the call to all the creepiest, eeriest artists in the country, and you know what country, Transylvania. And it'll be a bloody pity if anyone in the whole wide world doesn't get the word about this way out mag of fantastic females. My amazing adventures explode here exclusively every issue, and in addition, you get half a dozen other socket-to-you shockers for gals and guys who are wise to the best in bewitching comics. What more do you want? Blood? You got it. Come with me. And that leads us to a table of contents page. And then our featured story, which is, of course, the first story and the origin story of Vampirella. And that's entitled Vampirella of Draculon. Now, credits for this story... We have a script by Forrest J. Ackerman. We mentioned him earlier. Although it has been rumored and said that Ackerman may have only done the outline for this and there was a ghostwriter. And we have artwork, and that's pencils, inks, and letters by Tom Sutton. Now, Tom Sutton was a American comic book artist who did a lot of work for Marvel and Warren, but also some for DC Charlton and others. However, he is probably best known as being the first story artist for Vampirella in this story. And on our first page, we get a five-panel layout, which is clearly meant to entice and titillate because it depicts a very voluptuous and well-endowed young girl taking a shower. And our narration starts like this. Aside from something a bit odd about her shoulder blades, you might take this to be an ordinary young lady taking a shower. And we can see in this first panel that there is some sort of wing-like small protrusions coming out of this young girl's back. However, you are quite mistaken. Note the bat-like birthmark. It is significant. And we see on Vampirella's right breast a bat birthmark or tattoo possibly. Wrong again, this young lady is not gargling in her shower. She is drinking her dinner. On her planet, water has the constitution of blood. For she is, and as we turn the page, we get a full page splash that introduces Vampirella of Draculon. And we see Vampy exiting the shower. She has a towel around the lower part of her body. And there are bubbles from the shower which are strategically covering all the rest of the naughty bits. But in the foreground, uh, we have these two multi-legged creatures, sort of, I don't know, frog-like, and one of them is lifting up the towel, and he and his partner are appearing underneath. It's quite, it's quite comical, and this, of course, is definitely going to be our panel of the episode. 
So we get on the next page, another full page splash, uh, where we see a depiction of the planet of Draculon, and it has a very science fiction, Flash Gordon looking appearance to it, and we're told Draculon is literally a planet of blood. By a strange quirk of nature, the water on Draculon is composed of virtually the same combination of elements that on Earth constitute hemoglobin. Thus, on Draculon, a race has developed that depends solely on blood for sustenance. Evolution has taken strange ways on Draculon. We see Vampirella flying around the city, and we also see a male vampire drinking blood from a river. But we're told the blazing twin sons of Draculon have caused a drought in the rivers of blood, and we see that the vampires are dying of thirst. Vampirella, like the rest of her race, is weak from the loss of food. And we see that she is suffering, uh, carrying a vase that she has gone to the river to get blood. There's not much there. And she is begging for a drink. But then she gets a call. Apparently she has some sort of communication device on her. And it's not really explained, but apparently she's part of the security force here on Draculon. Because she gets a message saying, Vampirella, a spaceship from another world, has crashed on the outskirts of Gossy Bram. She says, I'll check it out with wings on. So her wings, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, these wings are small protrusions in her back. But when she wants to fly, they fully extend into bat wings. She, so she extends the wings and takes off, but realizes that the flying's rough because she's so weak and she starts to crash towards Earth. We then turn to this spaceship that has crashed. And we see that it is a NASA spaceship called the Arthur Clark. And there are two astronauts standing outside the wreckage saying, oh, what a disaster. And we see Vampirella approaching them in the distance. But as she gets closer, she decides that she might be better off making her approach in her other form. And she turns into a bat. So these two astronauts see this bat approaching them, and one says, Hey, that looks like a giant bat. It could be dangerous. No sense in taking chances on a strange planet. So he pulls out his ray gun and gives Vampirella a zap, which, of course, hurts her a bit, and causes her to change back into her humanoid form. And she says, I'll fix them for that. She wills herself into invisibility and says she'll creep up on them and they'll never know what got them. But our narrator tells us Vampirella, not realizing how weak she is from days without food, has lost her power of invisibility and shape-changing, and is beginning to revert to her natural form. And these guys see her now approaching them. One of the astronauts says, Good Lord! The other replies, An interplanetary ghost! Vampirella replies, My karate jab means business, as she sinks her teeth into the neck of one of the astronauts. So he goes down, she approaches the other one and does the same thing, saying, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorched. And she now realizes that water flows in their veins, H2O. And we're told by our narrator, we get a little bit of pseudoscience here, on Draculon, the formula for water is hemoglobin doubled with oxygen. That's your H2O. So Vampirella enters the spaceship saying maybe there are more of those men things inside and she discovers that there are quite a few other astronauts in suspended animation in a hibernator system. And she says smorgas blood. She opens one of the chambers, removes one of the astronauts, prepares to dine on him and says you won't have died in vain and that's V-E-I-N. 
Our narrator tells us Vampirella is doing her thing, enjoying every drop of it. On Earth, we'd call it a bloodbath. As Vampy replies in the final panel, feast come, feast served. And we get a closing tagline saying, next issue, beware Earth, Vampirella is coming. So there you have it, the origin story of Vampirella coming from the planet Draculon, and she's somehow going to learn how to operate this spaceship and come to Earth. And that's where her adventures will begin in episode, or excuse me, in issue two. Uh, She'll have some sort of light-hearted misadventures as she adjusts to life on the planet Earth. But as mentioned earlier, starting with issue eight, when Archie Goodwin takes over the writing chores, we get the story, Who Serves the Cause of Chaos?, and Vampirella's backstory and mythology and overarching plot is developed where she becomes a superhero, basically a good vampire who fights the forces of the evil vampires who have descended from Dracula. And we would come to find out that Dracula was also an inhabitant of Draculon who came to Earth but had been corrupted by chaos, which is basically Satan's cult of minions. Now, as far as the artwork from Tom Sutton, it's incredible. Now, this is an example of two-color fear, uh, but Sutton's frenzied and somewhat cartoonish uh, art style really fits in well with this uh, smart-alecky and somewhat campy tale that we get for this intro to Vampirella. So that's going to do it for our featured story for this episode, Vampirella of Draculon. What can I say? I'm a big fan, so I'm a a bit partial here. Uh, As far as the poem of the episode, as I mentioned earlier, it will be that first splash page where we see Vampirella exiting the shower with the two multi-armed creatures in the foreground. But also, uh, when I publish the podcast on the blog, along with the poem, I'm going to include the Barbara Lee cover from the magazine and the Talisa Soto film poster and you can judge for yourself who would have been a better vampirella. So that's going to do it for this episode, but before we close out, we need to pick a comic for our next episode. I'm going to give the random comic generator a rest again. I know we normally cover horror anthology comics, but this time out we're going to take a look at a publication from Gold Key and that would be Dark Shadows number one published by Gold Key in 1969. So I'd like to thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can drop an email to fourcolorfear at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can check out the Facebook by searching for Four Color Fear on Facebook. And remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks again for listening. Take care of yourselves out there. Use common sense, and I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. You feel so lonely after When you give me what I really